You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. I am so excited about this episode. We're talking about a subject matter that was totally transformational in my own life, and it's something that has really gained a lot of steam in conventional conversations today. And companies and individuals alike are seeing that this is really a huge component in overall success, whether we're talking about success in our relationships, our careers, even our health. And this is the topic of emotional intelligence. And today we're doing a compilation with some of the very best experts on the planet and talking about some of the insights and strategies regarding different aspects of our emotions and our emotional wellness. And I think you're gonna get a ton of great insights and nuggets. I love doing these compilation episodes because we've had so many incredible individuals on this show. And sometimes you might miss an episode or you might hear something again with your updated knowledge because this is a thing and I, and I really wanna share this with you. When I was really working to transform my own life and to transform my own thinking, I would find these different audiobooks and different programs and different books. And I wouldn't just listen one time or hear something one time and think, oh, I got it. I got it now. No, I would replay these things over and over and over again, go back and reread things until I truly understood it. And they say that repetition is the mother of all skill, right? So the things that we do repeatedly, it really does ingrain itself and become a part of us in many ways. So we're talking about literally laying down more myelin in our brains and insulating those connections that we make, the more that we repeat a behavior. And so even if that is the consumption of a behavior, so I love those messages when people hit me up, just like, you know, I listened to the episode two or three times, something like that, because those are the things that I did that truly did have a deep impact on me that has lasted for many, many years. And so even today, when you re-listen to some of these clips from these experts, you're listening with updated knowledge. You're not the same person that you were when you might've heard it the first time. And it might strike you in a different way. It might hit your soul in a way that really compels you into, into right action or a new way of being. And so again, that's why I'm really excited about this and I love doing these episodes. And so today, again, 10 experts, we're talking about emotional fitness because that's really how we experience the world is through our emotions, right? It's through our these, these feelings that we get. And a lot of times we're not even chasing a goal, we're chasing the feeling that comes along with it, right? So this is a big player in many different areas of our lives. And of course, we're gonna dive in and talk about what that all looks like today. But do you wanna know something that gets me in my feelings? That gets me emotional? Sliding into my sheets at night when I go to bed, sliding into my attitude, organic, bamboo, lyocell sheets. Do you know what it's like to sleep on sheets that make you feel like you're in a love poem? Because that's how I feel, all right? I feel like some beautiful piece of art was written and I'm, I'm sleeping in it, right? <laughs> well, real talk, I love my attitude sheets so much because number one, they're hypoallergenic and it's organic, organic bamboo lyocell. And this is, if we're talking 300 thread count, organic bamboo lyocell, that's equal to 1,000 count Egyptian cotton, all right, as far as its feel. Now, here's what's really remarkable is that they're moisture wicking. So this means that, you know, a lot of folks sweat when they sleep, all right? So it's moisture wicking because, you know, getting sweaty and gross is not all that great. Plus that being hypoallergenic, that really helps in that department as well. So folks that have sensitive skin, you know, eczema, acne, uh, psoriasis, dermatitis, have all sent in raving reviews that these are the, the sheets that they finally found some that don't irritate them when they're sleeping at night and wake them up. They're also antimicrobial, antibacterial, self-deodorizing as well to create a really healthy sleep environment. They're breathable, as I mentioned, moisture wicking, and they're thermal regulating sheets. Listen, as you know, uh, I wrote a book called Sleep Smarter. And one of the things that I talk about in the book is this incredible, thing that the human body does called thermal regulation. It's always looking to regulate, self-regulate its temperature. And there's a natural drop in our core body temperature at night to facilitate great sleep. We know what it's like when we're sleeping, when the, the temperature, when it's just, it's too warm and it's, it's causing the sweating. It's just, it doesn't feel good when we're too hot trying to sleep. And so these sheets actually support our thermal regulation and ensuring that we're not getting overheated. 
And so again, no harmful chemicals, hypoallergenic, and they're antimicrobial as well. And right now you can get yours and they have a 30 night sleep trial. You can sleep on it, think on it, dream on it. If you don't love it, you can send it back and they'll give you a full refund, no questions asked. But I promise you're gonna love these sheets so much. You're gonna be like, how did I miss this my entire life? It is, it's a joyful experience when I slide into those sheets at night. I gotta be honest. I absolutely love them so much. And so go to attitude.com forward slash model. That's E-T-T-I-T-U-D-E.com forward slash model. And not only are you getting access to these incredible sheets, but by going to attitude.com forward slash model, you are also getting yourself 10% off all of their incredible, luxurious, but for less sheets. And again, it's a 30 night sleep trial. All right. So try them out for yourself. Experience what it's like to sleep inside of a love poem. All right. Pop over, check them out. Attitude.com. That's attitude with an E. Attitude.com forward slash model for 10% off. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Easier to Understand Health Knowledge at Your Fingertips by Sydney Phoebus. Sean provides health and nutritional information in a way that's much easier to understand than the average health podcast. And it's much more data-driven. He covers so many important topics and misconceptions, and I'm grateful for all of the time, effort, and research he puts in for each episode. Awesome, Sydney. Thank you so much for sharing that, and I appreciate that acknowledgement. Listen, if you've yet to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. Please let everybody know what you think about the Model Health Show and just whatever app you're on listening to the show. If you can leave a review for the show, please do. And of course, if you're hanging out in the studio with me and watching on YouTube, make sure to leave a comment below the video and let everybody know what you thought of the episode. All right. So on that note, let's get to our powerhouse compilation with the top experts in the world on various aspects of building your emotional fitness. First up, we have Dr. Susan David, and she's one of my all-time favorite guests. She wrote an incredible book called Emotional Agility, and her research has led her down an incredible path of discovering how important it is to really take ownership and being able to modulate and understand our emotions. And so in this clip, I asked her about a really important subject because obviously today we have a lot more conversation about some of the negative emotions that we experience as humans. And I posed a question to her of whether or not experiencing these negative emotions is even a bad thing. So check out this conversation with Dr. Susan David. It's really interesting. One of the things that I talk about in emotional agility is this idea that every newspaper, every which way we are turning, we are effectively told that our positive thoughts create our reality, that we shouldn't have negative thoughts and that we should be happy, happy, happy all the time. Um, what we know is that this actually is not really supported by what is effective. So, for example, Thinking negative thoughts and even feeling negative emotions are actually, as we explored earlier, just part and parcel of who we are as people. Um, when we start stepping into the space, when we try to push our thoughts aside, control our thoughts, uh, wrestle with our thoughts and argue with our thoughts, what we are doing is we are paradoxically entering into that space of busy mind. Mm -hmm where we aren't breathing into being with and just connecting with the who we are right now. So I am not against happiness. I'm actually a very happy person. Um, I've done a lot of work in the field of positive psychology. I've written a book on happiness. But what I think is really fascinating is we know that when people become overly focused on being happy, and setting a goal around happiness, that they, in a really interesting way over time, become less happy, hmm. which seems surprising. But if we think about it, what it can often do is it can often lead us to then ignore critical pieces of information that are important to us. So, for example, if I feel uh, guilty about not spending enough time with my children. 
and I just push that guilt aside, then what I'm doing is I'm losing a key opportunity to learn from that emotion and to maybe make key and important changes in my life. So one of the things that I talk about in emotional agility is how we can enter into a space with ourselves that I call showing up. Showing up is the idea that we make room in our hearts for all of our emotions um, rather than judging some emotions as being good and some emotions as being bad. And that when we are able to do that, we can actually learn from our emotions. Um, I've never met someone who is depressed, who isn't at some level concerned about how can I better be in the world. I've never met someone with anxiety in social situations who isn't at some level concerned about belonging. I've never met someone whose idea is stolen in the workplace and who's very upset about it, who isn't at some level concerned about issues of equity and fairness. So beneath our emotions, even the difficult emotions, we can learn from them and we can learn some stuff around what it is that we value. They're meaningful and they're important. All right, in this next clip, we're specifically talking about a negative emotion that a lot of people might experience today more than ever. Now, historically, you know, hundreds of years ago, if somebody was flossing in the kingdom or in the tribe, you might, you know, get a little peanut butter and jealous. You might have a little bit of envy, but today you get to see everybody flossing, you know, and it seems like everybody's on 10,000 with their flossing now today because they're showing their highlights because of our access to seeing the lives of just about everybody through social media. And so this experience of envy, you know, what we deem to be this negative emotion, it can really get get its grips in us and jealousy and things along that line. And I do feel that can be a very disempowering um, emotion for us, but it's still valuable. All of our emotions, all of those things that we feel, we feel it in our bodies are valuable and giving us valuable feedback. But in this next clip, we're hearing from somebody who has found a way to really flip envy over on its head in a powerful, remarkable way. And this guy has been just a huge impact in my life. He's been the catalyst for many things that I've been a part of and that I've even created because he's been in the field of personal development and fitness online. He's like one of the first people to do it. And I'm talking about my friend, Craig Ballantyne. And so again, in this clip, he's talking about this growing emotion today of envy and how to actually flip it on its head. Check out this clip from the one and only Craig Ballantyne. But the comparison syndrome, it's been around since the dawn of time too. I mean, you know, that's... He's got more goats than me. Right, right, right. He's got everything more than me. And it's just like, I got to go and get more. So, you know, we are driven, but we need to harness that ambition in, in the in the right positive direction for things. And so for me, what I found was so much of my anxiety was rooted from any time it was internally focused, whether the drive was internally focused, whether the worry was internally focused, whether my thoughts were internally focused, that caused the problem. That's like the wheels are spinning in your head. The anxiety engine is revving. Mm-hmm. Anytime I got out of my head, things were better. So the problem was solved. So instead of me thinking, I want I want to have as much as Sean, no, how can I go and help Sean have more? I mean, that is hard to mm. do because envy, for me, envy is even stronger than comparison syndrome. Like envy, I, in my, I, actually in the book, I think I mentioned, and definitely in my workshops, I teach about how my I have a black heart of envy and it is embarrassing, it is shameful. I hate telling people this, but man, and you know, Back in the day, back in my anxiety days, when a friend of mine would come to me and say, hey, you know, I've had success with this, I'd be like, man, I wish that was me. You know, that should be me. So, you know, I'm the old guy. I'm the godfather. You know, it should be me. And, you know, it's it's ridiculous. So I flipped the script. As soon as I start feeling that, I write that person a thank you letter. I, that exact person. So, so it's little things like that that you can stop this stuff from bothering you and flip it around so it goes from internal i want i want you know i'm comparing myself to other people no no i'm going to flip it around and i'm going to make that person better because at the end of the day the person you are comparing yourself to the person you are envious to if they have more your life is not going to be worse 
your life is not going to be better if they have less. So how can you, in your mind, switch it, flip the script every single day? Anytime you feel down, anytime you have a negative emotion, how can you flip the script? That's one thing I try and help people with. All right, next up, we cannot have a conversation about emotional intelligence and emotional fitness without talking about the man who has actually brought that term into public awareness. And I'm talking about Dr. Daniel Goleman. He literally wrote the book, Emotional Intelligence. And he's been featured everywhere from Oprah to some of the biggest talks at Google. And he's just had a huge impact on my life personally. And I'm so this is one of those very special moments for me to be able to have this conversation with him and to connect because he's had such a, a huge impact on me. And in this clip, he's gonna be talking about what emotional intelligence is versus conventional intelligence, right? Our IQ, right, this intelligence quotient versus EQ, which is our emotional quotient, our emotional intelligent quotient. And Specifically, he's talking about why today, more than ever, this is really being seen, our EQ, as an important, powerful determinant of success, specifically in business and, of course, in our relationships and every other area of our lives, is the ability to cultivate and grow our emotional intelligence. Because unlike your IQ, which is taught to us that it's, it's something that is static and not changing, which that's not actually true, but more so your emotional intelligence is something that we outwardly know. It is something that you can improve on. It is something that you can take to another level and it will improve your life. All right, so check out this clip from the incredible Dr. Daniel Goleman. Well, you know, when you're in school, you uh, are told that it's how well you do on your tests, how will you do on your exams, how smart you are, your IQ, which is the secret to success. What they don't tell you is, yeah, that's true until you get out of school. Then you get into a career, you get into work, you have, you know, you're dating, you're doing things that where IQ actually is not the critical factor. I just saw a study that showed that after an IQ of 120, it doesn't predict success at all. Mm. What starts to predict success are competencies that are built on emotional intelligence. How well can you get along with other people on a team, for example? How well can you keep pursuing a goal despite setbacks and obstacles? This doesn't have to do with IQ. It's about managing your emotions and about sensing emotions in other people and handling your relationships. That's the essence of emotional intelligence. Wow. Uh, I think you were, one of the lectures I saw a while back was maybe it was a talk at Google and you were talking about an example where you had a room full of all of these um, top level, maybe it was like Fortune 500 guys and just asking how many of you were like the Valley Victorian of your class? And it was like two people, you know, out of, That's you know, right. 200 yeah. or something. Exactly. Exactly. So and what that shows is that IQ after you're out of school does not predict career success. Yeah. It's, and and w companies themselves have done studies that I looked at that are really telling they wanted to know what sets the stars apart from average here in our company. And these studies have been done now by huge and middle-sized companies around the world. Yeah. And they find that it isn't your IQ. It's how well you are aware of yourself, how you can use that to manage yourself. You know, you don't let your emotions rock you so much that you can't keep focused. You, you sense what other people are feeling. And you put that all together to manage your relationships. That's what makes people a star today in the workplace. They don't tell you that in school. Right. So it's important to understand that for life. All right, next up, I've got a clip for you that came from a masterclass episode that I did talking about 10 specific ways that are clinically proven to improve or uh, increase your emotional intelligence. All right, it's a compilation episode that we have here today, but this is something from an episode that I did and I think you'll get a lot of value out of this because it's something that's really unexpected and something that changed my life, really. And it's something I kind of took for granted and that I've been consistently employing in my life ever since understanding this research. And again, it's in this episode, and we'll put all the past episodes, 
uh, for you in the show notes. But in this episode, there were some things that were just like really unexpected. And there's some things that might be kind of Captain Obvious, but they were painted in a in a more um, accessible way. All right. So let's check out this tip. And this is, again, from the top 10 list this is the first one that I shared in this episode. And it's something that you could take with you today and add to your superhero utility belt of ways for you to improve and cultivate more emotional fitness. Let's check it out. Number one here on these 10 different strategies and tips for increasing your emotional intelligence, your EQ, is to read more fiction. Read more fiction. I know this sounds crazy. Check this out. According to studies at the York University and University of Toronto, quote, individuals who often read fiction appear to be better able to understand other people, empathize with them, and view the world from their perspective. End quote. Now, this effect is probably because novels, short stories, unlike nonfiction, gets inside of the heads in a way, right, of multiple characters, helping to like we come up with this stuff ourselves just from reading the words on the page, their motivations for an objective. And this is like from an omniscient viewpoint, right, this kind of omnipresent viewpoint. You're seeing all of this stuff. Like if you're getting into like the Game of Thrones books and the, you know, the um, Harry Potter, like the whole universe, you start to have these feelings and understanding about all of these different characters. So this develops that muscle. And for me personally, this was huge because there was a time that I just stopped. I, I just was not a fan of fiction. Like I just stopped. And it was because I just didn't feel it was productive. You know, I wanted to learn about food. Give me the next nutrition book, the next book on uh, human physiology, like just, I want to consume that information. And it, and things like this really changed me. Reading fiction again helped to open up creative faculties that I didn't, that I didn't know were closed in a way, you know, change my thinking, uh, changing, shifting over what's even happening kind of with my nervous system rather than just kind of being on and hyper-focused all the time. But it just opened up and and changed the way that my brain was working. So this is a strategy, a tip. If you are like I used to be and thinking that reading fiction is just not productive, maybe this might be something to consider and to add into your repertoire. So this is one way that we see proven to increase your EQ. All right, I hope that you enjoyed that clip. And recently I just got back from an incredible trip to Portugal. And it was my first time in Europe. And we went through the Amsterdam airport, which is this huge, mega huge airport, mega huge hub for a lot of different destinations uh, in Europe. And while I was there, I walked by a couple bookstores in different parts of the airport. And front and center, what do I see? And this is in Europe. This diff- There's a lot of different language books. But I saw this man's book right there as soon as you walk in the door. And this is Mark Manson. Multi-time now, New York Times bestselling author. His very first talk, his very first interview for his latest book was here on the Model Health Show. And on this clip, he's talking about how our emotions are actually deeply connected to our physical state and they can influence each other. All right. So check out this clip from New York Times bestselling author, Mark Manson. So here's one of these kind of crazy things I came across when I was reading about like the neuroscience of emotion. So uh, various like thoughts and functions in our brain, you know, like if I, if I raise my right arm, you know, it's, there are places in my brain that will like light up and kind of show that. Um, What's interesting though, is that if I have like an emotion, if I start feeling kind of sad, there'll be some things in my brain that light up, but, there's also like a fully physiological response. And we all know this intuitively. We just don't think about it. You know, it's like when you're sad, you're not just, it's not just a thing that occurs up here. Like you slump over, you know, your, your, your limbs feel heavy. Um, you know, maybe you're, you get kind of like a feeling like there's a rock in your stomach. Um, if you're angry, there's like this momentum to your movement. Um, you stand up straight, like your face, contorts, you know? And so what they find is that actually the whole nervous system gets involved 
with our emotions. Um, and a lot of different, like our digestive tract gets involved with our emotions. Um, so it's a full body response. And so it's, and what's fascinating is that for a long time, I mean, it's, if you look at like NLP and some of some, like the old school self-help stuff, one of the things that you always find is they say that like, if you want to change your emotion, change your action, you know? So if you want to feel, uh, more active and happier it's like you need to get up and like jump up and down and scream and like what you know you'll actually change your emotional state simply by just doing some physical actions and so there's this there's this one-to-one relationship between our our body and how we perceive our emotional states um and so this is why it's you know, I describe emotions as actions because it's it's when you understand that the feeling brain is in charge, you start to understand that all these things, like if you, if you have a problem with procrastination, that's an emotional problem. If you have a problem with, uh, you know, sleeping in too late, that's an emotional problem. If you have a problem of, you know, overeating, that's an emotional problem. Like these are all, all of our actions that feel outside of our control. The reason they feel that outside of our control is that there's an emotional issue going on. There's some, the, the feeling brain is driving somewhere without us knowing or wanting it to. And that is fundamentally an emotional issue that needs to be investigated and, and, and resolved. All right, that was a clip from New York Times bestselling author, Mark Manson. And what an incredible insight. And this is something I've been studying for quite a while is the fact that your motions influence your emotions and vice versa, right? Our emotion is really influenced by our emotions, our physical body. And just understanding that we have the power to physically change our state and will change our emotional disposition. You know, you can fake it till you make it in a sense. You know, when you're saying, if I'm, it's very difficult to be unhappy and then put a smile on your face and then still remain in that unhappy state. It might just bring it down a fraction of a point, but just changing our physical state can change what's happening with this kind of emotional cascade within our bodies, because really our feelings are all chemicals. You know, every single thought or feeling that we have has correlated chemistry that takes place in our body. So even changing our thoughts can change our emotions, right? It's very, very powerful to understand that where today we're living in a culture that's telling you that this is all outside of your power. You don't have any power to change your state, your emotional state. Now, of course we do have issues. We have physical issues that can influence the, the, the degree that which we can change our emotional state. But all of us, if you're living and breathing, have the power to change what's happening with the way that we feel. And so understanding that, that, you know, sometimes if you're even feeling just a little bit down, or a little bit low energy, just getting up and as you mentioned, you know, just doing some jumping jacks or matter of fact, do a couple burpees. I've never seen anybody do a burpee and they're just like, you know what? I super feel like shoplifting now or whatever, you know, like these crazy thoughts and emotions that might come up for us. Uh, just doing some forms of, of exercise and movement can immediately change our state. I don't know why I said shoplifting, but just you can insert any kind of negative behavior. All right. But then again, there might you might be a negative responder and you're like burpees do actually make me want to steal candy or whatever, you know. But anyways, you get my point, which is truly being able to tap into this power that we have, because a lot of times when we say that we're down, like we physically express it, you know, but a change in our physical state starts to change that cascade. It doesn't solve the problem. I'm not saying that, but we do have the power to influence it. All right, so by the way, speaking of energy, the energy currency of the human body and this kind of energy exchange is happening via what's going on with our mitochondria, right? They're the the energy power plants that's creating ATP, which is a currency of exchange that our body uses that we feel or have the experience of energy is through that currency exchange, right? So ATP, adenosine triphosphate. Now, here's the thing that you don't hear very often is that for it to be active, the active ATP, it's bonded with a magnesium ion, right? So this is how important magnesium is. And crazy enough, it's the number one mineral deficiency in our culture right now. uh, And people don't know about this. And this is something that can be addressed relatively simple. Food first, all right? Eating more magnesium-rich foods is definitely a great idea. Supplementation, 
for a lot of folks today, I would even recommend taking a supplement because it's so important and we're so deficient. And here's the thing about it is that magnesium gets zapped and used so quickly. It's a kind of a stress buffer, a stress response uh, mineral in our bodies. And so it gets used a lot for a lot of the different things that our body is going through. Uh, so with that said, taking an oral supplement might not be the best idea for a lot of people because even if you take a little bit more than what's known as your bowel tolerance, right? Because magnesium, when you take an oral supplement, it pulls more water to your bowels and it can cause an evacuation, all right? Or AKA diarrhea, all right? So I said it with a little accent, but it can cause poopy pants or run into the bathroom or whatever you want to call it. And is that sexy? Is that is that cool? Probably not. And especially the situation, circumstance you might find yourself in. Some people could have some, some, some stool softened up a little bit for sure. But for most of us, that's not what we're looking for when we're supplementing with magnesium. Uh, kind of the side effect of having diarrhea, just trying to get our magnesium levels up. Because a lot of times you can't take enough of an oral supplement to get your levels where you want to be. The solution is topical application of magnesium on your skin. All right. Now, there's a ton of products out there now because companies are now well aware of the fact that this really does work to get our magnesium levels up. But a lot of them, honestly, they're just not that good. All right. They flake up on your skin. They're not absorbable to the level that they could be. The one that is 99.9999% absorbable, it's from a super critical extract of like we're talking about like Dead Sea salt, like just something that's natural. So it's not synthetic, real, high quality topical magnesium, the one that I've been using for, it's getting close to 10 years now, is Ease Magnesium from Activation Products. All right, so that's E-A-S-E Magnesium. Go to easemagnesium.com forward slash model and you get 15% off their incredible topical magnesium. So obviously you know this is a component of energy, but also magnesium is a component of, when we think about energy, it's not just energy to like get up and go, you know, run around. It's also the energy systems for your body to move hormones and, trans, and, and neurotransmitters for things relating to relaxation and sleep because magnesium is a big part of your body's relaxation response. This is why so many people find that this topical magnesium helps them to sleep better at night. All right, so this is one of my favorite things. Pop over there, check them out. EaseMagnesium.com forward slash model for 15% off. And I think you're really gonna enjoy it. EaseMagnesium.com forward slash model. People use it for muscle recovery, for you know, uh, healing injuries and things like that, Spe accelerating the healing process by providing that additional magnesium. It's really great. All right, pop over there, check them out, easemagnesium.com forward slash model. Let's get to our next incredible expert here on this emotional fitness compilation. Next up is another one of my favorite people, Dr. Jillian Tita. And she's talking about in this clip how your gut and stress literally are connected to your emotions. Super fascinating stuff here in this clip. So let's jump over and check out this conversation with Dr. Jillian Tita. So our enteric nervous system, it's fully responsible for digestion, right? It is actually independent from the brain and the spinal cord. So it's independent from your central nervous system. And this is good because if you ever had a spinal cord injury, like you still can digest your food, right? Like those neurons aren't running up through the spinal cord. However, here's the big however, even though the central nervous system and the enteric nervous system are independent of each other, they have a bimodal, like two-way communication system always. Mm -hmm. So they are in relationship with one another. And not only are they in a the relationship, they're like in a second to second, like continuous conversation. Mm -hmm. So again, that's where you get that, like that bad news. And like you instantly feel it in your gut. Your mm -hmm. gut didn't, doesn't have ears, like didn't hear it. Right. <laughs> um, and so this is how through this connection, if we get chronically stressed, or we've been stressed our entire life because we have a history of trauma or abuse or PTSD, or we're getting ready for a show or like some event and we're over dieting and we're undersleeping. Mm -hmm. All of these things imbalance the central nervous system via the sympathetic, aka like fight or flight branch and the parasympathetic branch of 
the autonomic nervous system. And I know I'm getting a little sciencey here, but it's really important to break this down because I think that people hear the word stress and like they go to sleep because we use stress so much as a term that it yeah. almost means nothing at all. It can feel very like gratuitous. Yeah. And it's also important to qualify types of stress. So I'm not talking about a stress like I got a, a bad grade on a test. I'm talking about like real human, you know, trauma or what have you. So what happens with our sympathetic and our parasympathetic nervous systems, fight or flight, rest and digest, the two are going back and forth like a dance, right? So it's like we need times where we are like awake and alert and we maybe need stress hormones to get through. And then we also need our rest and digest time where our body repairs itself, makes antibody, digests our food. And the two are going back and forth like a seesaw, like a, a nice little dynamic dance. When we are chronically stressed, it's like an elephant is sitting on one end of that seesaw and a little chihuahua is sitting on another, <laughs> right? So we get stuck. And that's called sympathetic overdominance. And what begins to happen then is that that sympathetic overdominance sort of like imposes itself on the second brain, right? So there's not enough as much time for rest and digest. Maybe your stomach acid production goes down. Maybe your digestive enzyme production goes down. Maybe you start to feel like bloated and uncomfortable in your gut all the time. Maybe you're like, wow, I never had reflux before, but now like I'm everything's repeating on me and I have heartburn. Yeah. Maybe you're starting to get constipated. Then if you're experiencing pain in your gut, that feeds back up to the central nervous system and you experience, you know, anxiety or unease or, you know, disquiet or whatever with all of those things. And this is going on constantly. For our next clip in this emotional fitness compilation, we have this guy's one of my best friends. And he really just took the game by storm, the fitness world by storm and even major media. Like he was like on The Tonight Show and Dr. Oz and all this stuff because he had the audacity, he was a personal trainer, but he had been fit his whole life. And he really wanted to better relate to his, uh, to his clients because they would just tell him like, you don't understand what it's like. You don't understand what it's like. You haven't been in my shoes. You've never been in this situation. And he decided that he was going to gain 70 pounds to experience what it was like to go from fit to fat. And then after that, that's that, and that, he documented everything, which was super new on the internet at that point, to document your days like that. And he gained this weight and he shared his story on a very early episode of the Model Health Show. We'll put that, his first appearance in the show notes as well. But from there, he had to get back to where he was. So he went from fit to fat to fit. That's what the title of his book is. That's what the title of his podcast is. And that's really uh, what his brand is, fit to fat to fit. And this is Drew Manning. All right, so New York Times bestselling author and just one of my favorite people. And in this clip, he's going to be talking about developing the emotional muscle of having empathy for other people and also a powerful insight on vulnerability as well. So again, other components of our overall emotional fitness. Let's check out this clip from True Man. Sometimes we listen to respond rather than listen to understand right right we, we sometimes that's there's a difference and i think that's where some people struggle with and so you know how how do you get empathy like for me i did something crazy that i don't think is necessary for everybody to have empathy but like you said asking questions first and listening to understand instead of listening to respond like how am i going to respond to this question as humans mm -hmm. we do that all the time mm -hmm. i know someone's giving me a statement they're trying to prove a point to me i'm like oh what i'm going to say this and that's going to cause them to you know uh be confused and then i'll, I'll totally <laughs> win this debate right <laughs> we do that we listen to respond instead of listen to understand and i think that's how you start to build empathy you know you don't need to do anything crazy like fit to fit although that worked for me yeah and the, but be creative with with uh like go spend time with people and, and, and talk to them and ask them questions and listen with a, a true heart of wanting to understand where they're coming from. And I feel like that's how you're going to help them rather than tell them what to do, you yeah. know, eat less, work out, what's wrong with you? Just do it. Right. right. It doesn't work. And I, I, pro I promise you it, it doesn't. So, right. and also sharing your experience, you know, yeah. as well, like your story, your points of struggle. Mm -hmm. I think that's so valuable in communication. So mm -hmm. it brings you onto the same wavelength. 
it's on your arm yeah right can you share what that says so it says vulnerability is strength and um thanks for pointing that out because i was going to bring that up as you were just mentioning that it was um uh it's vulnerability paul blart, paul blart segue <laughs> segue <laughs> i love it man i'm gonna go watch that movie again <laughs> you know i learned this from Brene brown um huge fan of her books changed my life uh vulnerability breeds vulnerability so the more vulnerable you are with other people, the more vulnerable they will be with you, the more trusting they will be of what you have to say. Um, but if you can't be vulnerable with other people, it's gonna be hard for them to open up to you as well. So be the leader in that and and be vulnerable with them. And, and it's scary, right? Because you're telling people your weaknesses. You're telling people you know, the things that, that you don't want people to know sometimes. And it's really scary because society, culture um, tells us you know, keep those things hidden. No one wants to know those things. Those things, you know, will make you look weak. And that's the mentality. That's the lie that I grew up with. And it took me 30 plus years to figure that out before it changed my life. And so shout out to Brene Brown, man. She she saved my life with, with some of these things. And that's why I have that tattooed on my arm. And I think that can be a powerful tool in health and fitness, but also just in life in general. All right, another thing that really gets us emotionally out of whack sometimes can be when we mess up, can be when something doesn't work out and we make a mistake. Uh, that can lead to a lot of emo emotional turmoil. And the question really is, how do we adjust and recover from the mistakes that we make in our lives? And really, how do we actually start to identify and you might be shocked to find out how mistakes are actually valuable for us and our emotional well-being and our development as human beings. And this clip is from my really, really good friend, Jim Quick. And he's sharing, he's first of all, accelerated learning expert, uh, speed reading expert. He's taught millions of people how to learn better and learn faster. From just everyday folks wanting to do good on their exams to the very top, top media personalities like, you know, Will Smith and... Just the, the, the name, the client list, Hugh Jackman just goes on and on and on and on. And in this clip, he's going to be sharing with you some really powerful insights on how we can actually recover from the mistakes that we make. All right, so check out this clip from the incredible Jim Quick. So my first comment on when it comes to mistakes is you've all heard this before, but in order to learn, you have to make mistakes. That's how we learn because there's no such thing as failure. People think failure is the opposite of success. But I, I feel like, you know, in you and I, the people that we get to spend time with and we get to interview for our shows and such and our personal experience, failure is not the opposite of success. It's, it's part of success, yeah. right? And I feel like there's no such thing as failure. There's only failure to learn because if you're getting feedback, then you know what to do different. And um, I just did a, a podcast episode with Beth Comstock, who's the former vice chair of General Electric, which is all about imagination. And she has a new book called um, Imagine It Forward and the Power of Imagination. And we're talking about, you know, um, Edison, who started um, General Electric, and, and he was a great marketer. But obviously, you know, you've all heard that he tried, he was like, oh, I didn't fail thousands of times to make the light bulb. I, you know, I succeeded in learning what not to do, right? right. And so it's, it's, a, it's a mindset. So I would say first start with making more mistakes and fail forward and give yourself permission. But the big thing is how do you recover from a mistake? And I would give everyone, I like acronyms, you know this, because we've talked about this in other shows on how to remember names and speed read, I use acronyms. Um, what I would say is put the mistake behind you and make it old. And so the acronym is OLD. Um, I want everyone to think about a mistake that they are holding on to, because I think a lot of us have regret mm -hmm. and they live in the past. But I always tell people, if you live, if you're living in the past, then you're dying in the present, mm. you know, because you're always looking in that rear view mirror and then you can't be here. Right. And so you can learn from the past and but you got to live for today and then you could, you know, lead your legacy tomorrow. And and so remember old. And so the O in someone as everyone right now will make this interactive because this, we don't make this theoretical. You make it relevant to you. Think about a mistake you're holding on to. You want to make it old. The O is you need to own it. You need to own that. And here's a few things that will allow you to own it. The A is you need to be accountable for it. Okay, so I'm going to give you a few A's. And here's the first A. Be accountable for it because you need to take responsibility for it. You and I have talked about 
the time I've spent with Stan Lee, the co-creator of all these amazing yeah. Spider-Man, X-Men, Avengers. And, you know, be, and he told me in the car one day, you know, he was like, who's your favorite superhero? I was like, Spider-Man. He's like, with great power comes great responsibility. And in my mind, you know, because I had my learning difficulties, I reversed things. And I was like, Stan, you know, you're right. But the opposite is also true. With great responsibility comes great power. Mm. When we take responsibility for something, even our mistakes, we have great power to make things better. And so first thing is you make a, you to become accountable for it. Um, the Another A is just acknowledge that you're human. You know, acknowledge that it is a mistake and that you made it. Because some people deny the, and, you know, they deny that they made that mistake. And that's a challenge also as well. So you need to be able to acknowledge it in order to be able to, because some people, what you resist persists and they fight with it and they try to defend it. And, but if you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. And so just acknowledge it. Another A is apologize, you know, apologize. If you've hurt somebody, if this mistake costs somebody else outside of you, apologize to that person. You know, you can keep it brief, but be clear yeah. and apologize in a way that is sincere, yeah. obviously. Mean it. Exactly. Yeah. Because people, I mean, we all have this radar. We know if something's sincere or not, but, but apologize for it because that's a way of owning it. You apologize for it, you know, explain if you need to why it happened and explain how it's never gonna, you know, happen again, if, yeah, you will. And if you And if you really mean it, you're not expecting the other person to necessarily do anything differently. It's mm. you're apologizing for yourself. Absolutely. And the potential for healing. Absolutely, I agree with that completely. So you're accountable for it, right? And you, you're, you, you acknowledge it, you apologize for it, and maybe you need to apologize to yourself also because forgiveness goes a long way you know i've spent a lot of time on uh, especially with my brain injury you know through going through spec scans and having my brain analyzed you know neurofeedback and one of the best ways to get into those deep healing states um, the number one way that i found from personal experience is forgiveness and um, studies done in self-compassion say that when you don't beat yourself up because a lot of people they are really hard on themselves. You know, they ate that cupcake, right? Or they didn't work out that day, or they were a little short with their 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 child or whatever it is. And they beat themselves up. And we find in the studies that actually kindness goes farther. When you're kind to yourself, meaning that, you know, you say, you know, I'm only, I'm human. I had a long day and I did make a mistake, but you're kind with yourself as opposed to beating yourself up. You're more likely to follow through in the future. So the O in old is you make the, the mistake old is you own it. Yeah. You're accountable. You acknowledge it. You apologize for it. The L in old stands for, of course, learn from it, right? And like the whole idea behind making mistakes is that what, where was, where's the gift in this? You know, and I ask that myself all the time when there's a mistake that's made either by myself or somebody around me is like, where's, where's the gift? And usually the gift comes from a new distinction that you have or a new learning. And so when I'm doing this and I'm making a mistake and I've made a mistake, what I'll do is I'll even journal about it a little bit because I was like, what was my intention here? You know, what was the environment that allowed this mistake for happen? Was I multitasking? Was I taking too much, uh, you know, taking on too much? Was I exhausted and I didn't sleep the night before? Like what, 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 was, what created this environment for this mistake to happen? What did I not have enough information, right? And so I think that reflection is very important because otherwise what happens is you don't handle the, the D, which so, so the O again, is you own it. The L is you learn from it. And a big part of it for me is I journal about it because I like to write about it and reflect on it. Otherwise, there's no learning from it. And then the D stands for don't repeat it. Don't repeat mm -hmm. it. Because if you truly learn from it, then you're not going to repeat it because the first time you did, you know, it, it's a mistake. But the second time you do it, it's a choice. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people, they say, and you've heard this phrase, in self-improvement forever insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result and you know i don't know if that's insanity maybe it's just a poor memory <laughs> because you don't remember the lesson that came from it and i feel like a lot of people repeat mistakes and the decent again says don't repeat it because they don't remember the lesson or the pain that came mm -hmm. so they end up dating the same kind of person right they say they make the same kind of mistake with their health over and over again or they hire the same person or they, they again you know 
wait and procrastinate on their taxes or whatever those things are. And in order to not repeat it, I would say a few things. Maybe I'll make them, I'll, I'll, I'll like iteration, maybe a few P's. Um, and I did a whole episode on this that went deep in it about making mistakes. P is like prepare next time. You know, when you learn it, you know, and you journal about it, you prepare for the next time. I would say plan. When you know something, the situation could come up in the future, plan ahead. And that would prevent you from making that kind of mistake because these thought experiments using your imagination to project into the future and really imagination is really rehearsal. You know, when you're, when somebody is fearful that they're going to make a mistake, whether it's public speaking, and you know this, like a lot of people, one of the big fears is people, when you and I go to events, even people don't know, like backstage, you know, a lot of our peers are really scared to go on stage and do yeah. their work, but they're such, so mission driven. They have a moral obligation to do it. So that's the motivation, but preparation is just a signal to your mind. You know, fear is just meaning you need to prepare more. And so I would say the D is don't repeat it because if you really did own it, if you'd really do own it and you really did learn from it, then don't repeat that because then, then it's a choice. Next up in this compilation of how to identify and to develop our emotional fitness is a clip from a really incredible conversation that I had with the, the person behind, well, the co-host of Coconuts and Kettlebells and also the best-selling book, and this is Noelle Tarr. And I was really blown away at the knowledge bombs that she was dropping in our conversation. And in this clip, she's going to be sharing why one of the most prevalent emotions experienced in our world today revolves around shame. And specifically in this clip, she talks about addressing the shame cycle regarding food. And we know that food is one of those things that's a big part of all of our realities. And so how to break this shame cycle surrounding our food. All right, so check out this clip from best-selling author, Noelle Tarr. Shame is everywhere. Um, it is really pervasive, as I mentioned before, in marketing of diet programs and 21-day fix-yourselves things and you know you know flat bellies in seven days whatever it is you know basically what is being projected to us is that the way you look a certain feature about your body the way you're eating the way you're doing fitness isn't the way that it, that you should look or isn't the way that you should be pursuing fitness and because you're not doing that you should feel shame about that there's something wrong with you you're a bad person you're not worthy and when we feel that shame, it, it's a terrible feeling. Shame and guilt just doesn't feel good. If we think about how pervasive it has been, especially for women in the postpartum period, about get your body back, about- The snapback, the snapback. <laughs> yes, and get rid of your cellulite. Get rid of your stretch marks. We've been told over and over again that these things are bad or wrong to have, when in essence they are not. Um, but you know, it you should feel shame about having those stretch marks, or you should feel shame about having five, 10, 15 extra pounds of quote unquote baby weight. And so when we feel really bad about that, we feel the shame, we desperately want to get rid of it. And so the way to get rid of it is to either usually it's one of three 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 things it's beating ourselves up you know so just harsh self-talk it's um bringing in the restraints again on our food so gosh I, I i have cellulite i look terrible or ate that cookie or whatever i need to just i'm just gonna stop eating all desserts or i'm just gonna fast in the morning or it's which I used to do a lot, which is, well, I need to work out extra tomorrow. Yeah. Or instead of running five miles, I'm going to try for seven, 10, or, or seven mm. or 10. And so it's, in essence, the shame cycle is this idea where we have decided that something about us is wrong or we're doing something quote unquote wrong or we are bad. And so we need to, we need to restrict something. And, and the example in the book is hamburgers. Um, you know, it's like, okay, well, paleo says I shouldn't be eating hamburgers, so I'm just not going to eat any hamburgers. Hamburgers are bad. You know, they're, they're bad. They're morally bad, and I'm not going to eat them. And so the more you try to restrict something, the more you push something away that you have decided is bad, 
then you kind of always, you're like, you think about it all the time. It's just always on your mind because you've given it more power. You've, you've essentially given it more, you know, space in your mind because you're trying to restrict it because you've decided that it's bad. And so when eventually you will, as we've talked about this with the wagon mentality, when you eventually do eat a hamburger, it's sort of like you feel shame and guilt because now you're a bad person because you've engaged with hamburgers. And to remedy that shame and guilt, we say, oh, now we're not going to eat hamburgers and fries or, oh, we're going to work out extra. And we do the same thing that got us in the situation in the beginning. And so it's just this constant cycle. And so many women and men go through it on a day-to-day basis. And I think that the really where it starts is giving morality to food where we decide that food is either good or bad and how we engage with it makes us a good or bad person. Mm. So our worth, our morality rests on whether we engage with a good or a bad food. And where these labels came from is the real problem. It comes from, you know, these kind of extreme one-size-fits-all diet plans that says, Whatever. All of a sudden, you know, pineapple is bad. Or there was a phase for a while where liquid smoothies are bad. Any sort of liquid food is bad. And I had to like work with clients on that because they're like, I love smoothies, but I know they're bad. And I'm like, hold on, you know, wait a second. (laughs) Um, So it was, you know, it's, it's whatever somebody says is bad. And so we have decided that we are a bad person when we engage with that. And so it's really starts with saying, look, food doesn't have morality. Your morality is not reliant on whether or not you engage with certain foods or not. That it, Your worth is not reliant on that. And we have to see food as neutral. And yes, absolutely. Certain foods are more nourishing than others. There are, there are foods that are going to serve your body better than others, but you're not a bad person yeah. if you engage with non-nourishing foods. And finally, in this compilation of these incredible experts from very different dynamic backgrounds and sharing their insights on how to cultivate and improve our emotional fitness. We have somebody who just, I absolutely love JP Sears. All right. I follow him on social media. He's one of the few people that I make sure that I don't miss anything that he posts is so amazing. He's actually a stand-up comedian now, and he started off in the life coaching space And he started off in the fitness space and he just kind of parlayed that into like he really found what his gift is, is inspiring and educating people through comedy. And so our conversation was just so powerful. It was so awesome to have him here in the studio with me hanging out. And so in this clip, he's going to be talking about one of our strongest emotions, which is fear, specifically the fear that can surround us having the confidence that we really need to be ourselves. All right, so check out this clip from the one and only J.P. Sears. Authenticity isn't something we do. It's not a strategy. It's a state of being. So the idea, like the marketing strategy of like, you know, come on, like authenticity is trending. So let's do authenticity. Well, it's not a facade. Doing authenticity, like as a strategy is incredibly inauthentic. It's just a facade. So being authentic is different. And truly, I think we're the only ones that can decide, am I like playing the role of authenticity or am I really being my authentic self? So I think we're really the judge and jury, though I think the energy that we express through our thoughts, words, and actions also reveals the truth to our audience. But yeah, man, I think it, if however we're doing our authenticity, if we're, if we're not getting scared by it, mm. we're probably not doing real authenticity. Mm. I think real authenticity means we're allowing the mystery of who we are to express itself. And I do mean those words very intentionally, the mystery of who we are, because I think who we think we are has nothing to do with who we actually are. So when we, yeah, I know who I am. It's like, well, maybe we know who we think we are, but who we really are, I think we don't know it until we notice ourselves expressing itself with feeling and our, whatever we're doing. So I think that's very scary because as children, I think we're all adults dressed up or we're all children dressed up in adult suits. As children, we're used to getting validation by 
being who we think other people want us to be. That's right, how we get the sure. currency of approval. We read our mom and dads or teachers like, oh, teacher, you want good grades? Cool. I'll get good grades and you'll validate me. But you don't necessarily validate me for being myself. Like sometimes being myself is I'm going to stand on the desk and dance and sing. So not only do you not validate me, you invalidate me. You like punish mm. me if I'm being myself too yeah. much. So we're used to the comfort of doing what gets us approval, acting like other people in the way they want us to be. So we, I, I think as kids, a, a pattern that's not just true for me, it seems to be part of the human condition. We develop the pattern of actually fearing our authentic self because it's the one thing that gets very little approval, very little acceptance. Now, granted, sometimes our mom and dad or families will recognize our brilliance and validate that from time to time. And that's beautiful. Some people never. But regardless, we don't know how people are going to react. They don't know. We don't know if they'll even see us when we're expressing our real self. So the fear of abandonment, or maybe they're going to criticize us. The fear of overwhelm comes up. So in other words, I think when we're about to risk presenting our real self, it's going to have some butterflies in our stomach. I remember when I was making my first comedy video, which was very much an authentic part of me coming to light. I was scared, like thought it was going to be bad for business, thought people were going to judge me, didn't think they'd think it's going to be funny. So it was a very scary thing for me to do, yet I did it anyway. And I think the best gift we can ever give ourselves is be ourselves. And we have to have the courage to do that. I think we the courage means I'm willing to be afraid in the name of allowing my real self to show up, even if I don't know who he is, but I'll, I'll greet him when he shows up and I'll give him a darn hug too. All right, I hope that you enjoyed this powerhouse compilation of tips and insights on how to cultivate, how to identify, and how to improve your emotional fitness. And again, every one of these clips, you can get the entire meal, the entire episode in the show notes. So if something really jumped out at you and you want to go back and re-listen, definitely pop over there and do that right now. Now, in closing, I want to share again, I mentioned earlier on that the conversation with Dr. Daniel Goleman was really something special for me. Uh, I remember watching a lecture of his many years ago, his talk at Google, and even seeing that talk, first of all, it had a big impact on my thinking and talking about emotional intelligence and social intelligence. And I started to identify some things that I was doing unconsciously. It was like an unconscious competence that I was doing right in relationship to the clients and patients that I was working with at the time. And also some things that I could improve on as far as my communication. And seeing that talk at Google, I was just like, I want to do that one day. You know, like I saw it, like that is such a cool thing and just the vibe of it. And sure enough, a few years after that, I found myself at Google headquarters and I did a talk at Google. And uh, if you happen to not see the, the Google talk, I'll put that in the show notes for you as well. But it's just a big inspiration for me. And in that episode, if you want to go back and listen, he shared that one of the most important emotional connections is this carrying a sense of purpose. Our sense of purpose is really tied to the value that we bring into the world and being able to invest value into our relationships and also contributing our gifts and our time and our talents to the world. These are all things that help to really cultivate our sense of purpose. And he shared how important that is for our overall emotional intelligence. It's just us feeling like we have that sense of purpose. And so hopefully some of these things have sparked you into thinking differently about yourself and your value and your ability to communicate with others and with yourself and also the need to increase your exposure to get yourself around people who inspire and uplift you and help to really bring these things forward in your life because a lot of times our gifts and our talents and our capacities our strengths can be dormant they can be latent but they're in us nevertheless they're there but sometimes we need the right conditions to help to identify those things one of the most powerful ways to go about that is to see it in somebody else, right? There's a statement that real recognizes real. So if you can see it in me, then it's there in you. That's the only way that you can see it and you can acknowledge it. And this is why I'm such a huge advocate of getting yourself in the environment, getting yourself around the people and around the environment 
the conversations, the ideas, the insights physically to really help to, to, to deepen that connection and really spark the transformation in our minds. Because yes, repetition is the mother of all skill, but there's another way that we really lay down more myelin and literally change our brain is an emotionally charged event. That's another way to go about it. And the most powerful way to do that is to go to a live event. So what do you have blocked out on your calendar for 2020? Listen, I'll tell you right now where I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be a phenomenal life and I want you to be there with me. All right, the phenomenal life events are literally that. They're phenomenal life events. And in 2020, this is gonna be going down in Mexico. So not only are we going to have incredible powerhouse work, workshops from some of the most successful people on the planet, but we're also going to have epic excursions and parties, things that we're gonna be doing and hanging out. So it's not just the, the educational part, which what you get there is gonna be more powerful than anything that you've ever been exposed to, but also that ability to to, to fellowship and to have a good time and to hang out and to really get connected to people who are like-minded individuals. There's nothing more powerful than that. All right. So I want you to come hang out with me and Eric Thomas, the number one motivational speaker on the planet. And he could quite possibly be the number one person. All right. He's just such a great human being and the rest of our team. And it's just going to blow you away. So head over, check it out. Themodelhealthshow.com forward slash phenomenal. All right, that's where you can pick up your tickets. Do it ASAP. All right, this event always sells out. So go to themodelhealthshow.com forward slash phenomenal. Get your tickets now. Come hang out with us. All right, again, thank you so much for tuning into this episode today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. And knowledge is not power. It's potential power. It's when you apply it that it becomes power. And so hearing from all these experts today and having these nuggets of insight, let's go and put something into practice today. All right, even just one thing, put it into practice and apply it. Think about it, contemplate on it and see how it impacts your life. All right, I appreciate you so much for tuning into the show. I've got some epic powerhouse episodes coming your way very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you've got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.